Hey, this is Marx, and you're listening to Into This, my podcast where I have conversations with people working in the visual arts to learn about their influences and their careers. My guest today is Yam Lau. Yam Lau is a Toronto-based artist, professor, and community organizer. He was born in Hong Kong and moved to Canada when he was 15 years old. He completed his MFA at the University of Alberta in 1997 and then moved to Toronto where he has been working and living since then. He is represented by Christie Contemporary in Toronto. As an artist, Yam explores new expressions and qualities of space, time and the image through the application of painting, computer animation and digital video. In this conversation, he talks about the concept of trying to make the world lighter with his art. And when you see his pieces, and please do visit our website that is intothispodcast.com or our Instagram account that is intothis on Instagram, uh, you can see some pictures there. This thing of uh, creating space or trying to make the world lighter actually comes through in his work because the space itself becomes one of the major characters in his pieces. And again, I cannot really stress more. You should check it out on, on Instagram or our website. Yam teaches at York University, just north of Toronto, in the Department of Visual Art and Art History. Throughout this conversation, we actually talk about his reading and his opinion on how the relationship between students and art degrees has evolved and become more quote-unquote professionalized. And he talks about what does that mean for him. Finally, Yam is also a community organizer. He leads an ongoing art space hosted in his home. He invites artists to create an exhibition responding to his house architecture and sees this project as an empowering activity for himself and his artist friends, given that this project lays outside of any commercial endeavors, right? Another of his projects that is pretty similar to this in, in nature was done in collaboration with artist Michael Yuan, and it was called Donkey Institute of Contemporary Arts. Yeah, you, you heard that right, Donkey. This project was realized in Beijing, China, and it was planned around the premise of adapting to the convention of the street peddler who meanders through Beijing neighborhoods with a donkey selling products. In this case, the donkey was dragging a cart with a retrofitted series of wooden modules or boxes that served as a mobile display in which the texts, works, and videos displayed were accessible to passersby. So in this conversation, Yam talks about his views on what is to be an artist. Also, he shared with me the incredible story of getting to meet his biological father during his 40s. Man, th this story, it's special. It actually involves a very enthusiastic group of young artists from China and the secret Chinese police. I mean, <laughs> I think this is the best trailer ever. So uh, let's get right into it. So this is Yam Lau and me talking. Thanks for listening. And we are gold. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, 
Pretty good, pretty good. You know what's funny? We are like five or six houses away. Is that right? <laughs> well, I know your gallery is not far. Well, I'm here. That's that's where I'm recording this. You're at the gallery. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. It's just that when you're on Zoom, you assume people is from another country or something like that. That's true. That's true. I mean, I could be anywhere right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, I think uh, I have a tenant uh, in my house. Right. It's Kyle. He's yeah. He spoke to you. Yeah, we did a, a Zoom studio visit, which, you know, it's a, it's a thing to do these days as well. Um, you know, he's uh, pretty committed to his practice. And, and I think the, the genesis of his work is pretty unique, you know. Unique in the sense that uh, he's not coming from the kind of art school right. training. Right. He's coming from maybe his own motivation or the music scene and just awareness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Quite fresh that way. And yeah. He's finding his way through that way. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No. For sure. And uh, how long have you guys been, uh, you know, living in the same building? I think almost uh, three years. Was it anything related to the arts? The the fact that you guys met, or just just randomly? I put up a net in the Kajiji, I think. Right. You know, right. <laughs> he looked like a nice guy. Very nice. Yeah, for sure. That's great. And I mean, one of the things that I have on my on my list to talk about with you is the fact that you also host an art space at your place, at your house, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even more lucky somebody that is, you know, interested in the arts to be living in a space like that. <laughs> so when did when did you start that project? Well, the project started maybe <clears throat> about three years ago. Okay. Four years ago. I mean, um, should I just continue or wait till you have more questions? No, 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 no. This is a conversation, just, uh, so just the free house conversation. It's supposed to be redesigned mm-hmm. with the intention that it will provide some kind of um, hospitality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I like this kind of informal art exhibition where right. it's, we'll come and visit the space and they will choose. Uh, doing a site specific work usually. Yeah. Yeah, uh, just just before we continue, is there any chance that you have earphones with a microphone like this? It just helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Mic. Oh, that'd be great. Normally I do that and I teach. It's on. Is it better? Oh, it's so much better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, this is perfect. Okay, thanks for reminding me. Oh, for sure. No, thank you for doing it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's, we have hosted a few projects and also some events mm-hmm. like a book launch, uh, poetry reading, and screening, and so on. You know, uh, the screening was really nice actually, it was so uh, early work by Lisa Steele and Kim, their partners, right? Because they are kind of pioneer in video art, especially feminist art, yeah. And so, to have them invite, invite them here. And showing the early work, which is not so known. Right, right. And also inviting different generations of artists to attend. So cross-gen, intergenerational, cross-generation. So let me ask you about the motivations behind that, because, you know, in Toronto, there are a lot of, you know, commercial galleries and there's a lot of uh, places where artists can show, right? But Mm. you are also part of the of the community in many different aspects right so you're a professor you're an artist yourself you, you practice 
but then you start that project and I, I'm curious to know where did the uh, motivation for saying like this is needed in the city where, where did that come from because that's very interesting for me right I guess ultimately it's a way to explore different forms of artist power yeah right artist agency so um So I do other things as well, like the donkey, for example, yeah. on the street, and I also do a lot of um, administration work. I serve on the board of a museum, a gallery okay. museum, and so on. But ultimately, we have to go back to around year 2000. That's the time when I sort of finished school and was living in Paris. Um, with there's a love story in there somewhere. <laughs> right, of course, of course. <laughs> and uh, that didn't work out because I was going to stay in Paris. Yeah. And so I returned to Toronto uh, and I found a really nice, cute apartment. It seems to be just made for me, you know. And I thought, okay, this is now my home. I have right. to reestablish. So I decided to, I didn't have a guy, I didn't have a commercial representation at the time. Mm -hmm. But I decided just to, you know, build my community around my home with the way I want to live. And so I started inviting artists to do a site-specific project in this tiny apartment. Yeah, Each work is responding to the moments and details of the space and how I live and so on. And so that's how it started. And it lasted for a few years. At the end, there were like 20, 30 artwork. Um, you know, they, I rotate them. I rotate them. And I open the space to public uh, once or twice a week. Right. And people usually come and stay a long time because I had, I had the responsibility to show them all the work because some of the works are so subtle that you don't see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can show you one now. I still have it. Yeah. Sure. So this is a work by James Carl. Uh -huh. It's a kind of styrofoam box. Yeah. But it's made of marble. Right. It's right. One and, piece. Uh -huh. Natural stain. Yeah. It looks like some kind of soya sauce and so on. Yeah. So this work was put in the fridge in my apartment. Oh, right. Completely. You could miss it. Because it looks like a container. Dim light, there's no way. Yeah. yeah. Until you put your hand on it, then you know it's it's cold. Yeah, 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 yeah. So things like that. Yeah. Right. They were the kind of work. These were the kind of work they were in the apartment. I also want to um, give artists a chance to do something outside of their practice. Yeah. So the condition is to have them not to repeat their work from the studio. Right. Do something in response to how somebody lived their lives, you know. The artists I invited are people that I admire in Toronto, mm -hmm. are friends. So this is my kind of network friendship community, right. not the kind of professional, commercial kind of religion. So that's how I started to kind of reconnect and reestablish myself. In Toronto. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, that's very interesting that you separate those two. You know, your professional, commercial aspect and, and involvement in the arts. And then, you know, you take agency to say, this is exactly what I want to do. And I'm not going to, you know, compromise on what type of art can they show. And yeah. so when you invite somebody to show at your space, which is, you know, your house, is that the mandate that you share with them? It's like, we expect you to respond to the space and as well as um yeah. also ex experiment is that is that how you do it yes yes we we mm -hmm. discuss we spend time in space 
Yeah. I usually make a dinner for them, so we had the <laughs> evening together. And there's time to well, we already a lot of them we um, kind of know each other already. Right. This kind of dinner conversation is somewhat uh, casual, but the space is around, so there's time to absorb and think. Then we discuss what to do, and I help them install the work. And some works are actually quite intense. Right. Uh, Yvonne Lambert actually redesigned the door. You know. Oh wow. Yeah, things like that. <laughs> Pretty architectural, and uh, some are very, very small, like you know, mm -hmm. little painting here and there. Uh, yeah, so yeah. They, they varies. And how do you manage it? I mean, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, obviously, would you have an opening and people would be at your place? Yeah, I um, I have a, a, a kind of each iteration, yeah. maybe six months or so, and I stop and I reopen with new artists. I usually keep some of the old artists. Yeah, uh, but the work find their place. They're not in conflict with each other, even though there's so many. Oh, I see. I see. Built on, it's just built. Yeah, so it's like you're building your permanent collection of the space, and then new new work comes in. This one, the rice box, I kept it. Yeah, 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 but yeah. Usually, I have a uh, kind of official opening, and mm -hmm. then um, uh, Saturday afternoon, I open to public. I also experiment with different viewing conditions. Right. So one iteration was only open on Friday night. Usually Friday night, nobody go look at art, right? No. It's only that night you can come see. That's right. And all the work, it's only lit by candle. And oh. the, the, the monitor of my computer, that's the only, the two light sources, candles and the monitor. Oh, wow. And uh, so it's just a different way to let art appear. Yes. More intimate protected uh, kind of environment rather than the kind of spectacle mm. of the art world. You know, mm -hmm. I was promoting a kind of art that you can live with. Right. Rather right. than something you just collect or you just purchase as a kind of commodity or investment or things like that, you know. Totally. You can live with. No, definitely. I think one of the conversations that comes to my mind right there is the fact that um, you know, in the conversation of the white cube and all of this and, and you know, how sterile sometimes those environments are uh, in terms of like it's not recognizable from somebody that, you know, lives in a home, in an apartment. It's totally different, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think artists, they, they make their work for the white cube, which right. is quite abstract from their own life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and uh, also the, the social aspect, you know, when people come to my place, they sometimes they stick around for many hours. No, definitely. I mean, that's definitely something that uh, in the past year we've all been craving for, right? I mean, so yeah, exactly. hopefully, you know, in the near future, we'll be able to go back to that because it's it's so important. I mean, even for... You know, th those things are exhausting, at least for me personally. Maybe it's just my personality that goes, it fluctuates between um, extrovert and introvert. You know, I kind of need both. <laughs> and so in an opening, what happens to me is that, you know, I'm really excited to talk to people, super excited. But at the end of the night, I'm just dead. Like, I just cannot have one more drop of energy. I just need to go straight to, to bed, you know, but it energizes me as well. So that's that's part of, you know, what is missing these days and hopefully we'll get it back. We'll get it back and we are not far from each other. So we can no, no, definitely. Some things, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we should definitely organize it. And so just for, for the listeners, we are literally in the same block. 
right? So <laughs> like where tap art space is, it's exactly where you have your art space. A few houses away. I have to tell you a funny story. Marcus. Yeah. You know, the last time we met, also the first time we met, mm-hmm. that was during uh, Art Toronto, yeah? When you yes. opened your space. Yes, last year. Appointment. Mm-hmm. I knew you were not far from me. Actually, I flew my drone to visit your space <laughs> rather than personally. <laughs> but I crashed it. Oh, no. <laughs> Did I have anything to do with the crash? No. It was okay, my good. poor drone uh, pilot skill. <laughs> Also, there was a lot of interference, actually. Right. I just thought, you know, maybe the drone can see art, you know, see art through the drone. Could be That's awesome. great. That's I great. I mean, in person anyways, but I yeah. sent my drone first. <laughs> it didn't make it. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like, I'm going to send my drone to see if it's worth it. If not, I'm just not going to go. It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't what I was thinking, but it was really bad. Yes. <laughs> no, thank you for passing by. That's a, I feel good about that. <laughs> I think I have the drone here. It's broken. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny. But yeah, so we're so close that you can send your drone to uh, to scout for you. But uh, so, yeah, um, wh- where do you grow up? Are you from Toronto? You're not from Toronto, right? Yeah, I've, I've been here since 1996. I think. Okay. I was born in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. That's in right. Hong Kong and I came to Canada when I was 15. Yeah. 15. It's quite young. I came by myself, so it was kind of rough <laughs> wow by yourself that's such an interesting yeah, story well but i always lived i came to toronto first right and uh, but always live in this area when i'm in toronto you know mm-hmm. uh, in the west end yeah the first mm-hmm. home is just one block away from where i am oh really yeah it's very unusual uh, always how that. come how come you do you pick this side of the city is there something here that uh tracks you I didn't know Toronto at all, but right. the school arranged it for me. Okay. So it was totally um, found by, by yeah. the school. Yeah. Yeah. There was the room, and I just, you go there, you <laughs> that's where you live, and yeah. that's it. You know, yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It was it. It was mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So 15 years old, and you moved to study. Yes. I was in grade 11. Yeah. What was, what was the, the driver there? You just wanted to come to Canada, or um, there was a wave of uh, immigration out of Hong Kong mm. at that time because the news of China, yeah, to, yeah, you know, take over right. Hong Kong was 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 not quite official, but was in the air. So a lot of people starting to to leave. And my, I had been to Canada before as a tourist. Okay. I liked it, and my parents always thought of yeah, sending me for there for a kind of. Uh, higher education. There were not so many universities at that time. Now there are quite a few, but it was quite difficult to get into a good university in Hong Kong because right. there were just one, a few. Um, so that was the reason. And I also got into some trouble at school, to be honest with you. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that many, many sort of little reasons come together. So, Over two years, yeah. And then, uh-huh. and then my parents came. And they moved to Edmonton, Alberta. Mm. So I, I moved there to stay with them. Oh, so they moved after you moved? 
So they, they kind of like send you out to see like, how's Canada? Let's see if you like yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> if I survived it and, you know, they will start packing the bags. And... That's right. It's like, it's like you're sending your drone out to, to see. Uh... <laughs> That's it. That's it. How, how long after you moved to Canada, they moved to, to Edmonton? Uh, yeah. Two years. Uh, I mm -hmm. spent two years in Toronto and then... And then they moved. Moved to Edmonton. I spent, I think, too much time there because I did my undergraduate degree. Right. And then, uh, and then I moved out to Toronto for a couple of years. Then I returned to Edmonton to do my master. Yeah, yeah, that's what I saw. That you you did your your masters there. Right. That's correct. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and your parents are still in in Edmonton. They are in heaven. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I okay. think they 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 okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Before. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um. You essentially been in in Toronto for the majority of your stay in Canada, and also your professional life as an artist then? Yeah, well, I went to school in Edmonton, but it was no art scene at all. Right. It was very small and very provincial, I have to say. Okay. So my work was already kind of installation, conceptual. Yeah. Absolutely, there was no place for me there when I finished school. So I came out to Toronto for a visit and see what it was like. And oddly, the first exhibition I saw at the Olga Copa Gallery, that visit was curated by Claire Christie, right. who represents me right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that show actually left a strong impression on me. It's interesting that you're working with a person that, you know, created such an impact on you. Mm -hmm. Somehow life... Yeah, seats, no kidding. You know, that connects somehow. Yeah, really for sure. Yeah. also met some interesting people on that trip, like uh, Andy Patton, who... He's a friend and a mentor, you know, and um, we, we met. I had very, very wonderful conversation. So after that, I decided to move out to Toronto. Okay. It was a different scene because uh, there were a lot of artist collectives. Mm -hmm. um, and because there were a lot of warehouse spaces. Yeah. Now they're all condos, but King Street was just warehouses. Yeah, yeah. So that that's... You know, I, I love those stories because I was talking to an artist from from New York recently and, you know, he was there in the 80s and the 90s. And it's kind of like that. Right. So it's like uh, yeah. everybody was in the in the village and like doing the thing. So what what was here like? What, what was the uh, the uh, community like when when you arrived? Uh, a lot of artists collectives because there were not enough spaces to to show. Mm -hmm. Not enough um, kind of institutional spaces. By the commercial artist run spaces, it's quite limited at yeah. that time. So, um, but there are a lot of vacant spaces that are cheap, cheap yeah. to rent, right? So these collectives sort of flourish in this with these sort of um, kind of in between leftover spaces. Yeah, kind of like industrial spaces that I guess they just got emptied out and the industry got moved out. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and I was sort of a painter at that time. Yeah. And, you know, at the, in the late 90s, art became very sudden to become quite um, politicized. Okay. Doing painting is considered kind of a political old school, you know. <laughs> so there were not a lot of opportunities for painters. But I found a group called um, Painting Disorders. Okay. So it's an artist collective. And uh, all of the members are still active today. Mm. 
But um, so I introduced myself and got to know some of them, and they invited me to show. That's how. So I met a lot of people that way. You yeah. Know, yeah. Out of out of me poking around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No. That that's uh, that's normally how it goes. I feel in the art, especially. Um, you go to you know openings, and you meet people, and then things happen there. You know, or studio visits, you continue to talk about your projects and, and all of that. And, and that's how things uh, kind of like roll out, right? So Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I do think that now it's more difficult because um, it's very hard to maintain a studio space or exhibitions to, to start an exhibition space. Yeah, for sure. And, and so le- let me take a step back and go back to, to Hong Kong, right? So you're growing up there, you're, you know, a kid. Did this uh, sensibility of the arts was already in you? Or like, do, do you have any memories of where that uh, influence comes from? Like, were your parents are artists or something like that? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. depends on how much time you have. <coughs> oh, oh, we this is a long format conversation. We can spend all night here. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's it's quite an uh, interesting story. Yeah, I I was born in Hong Kong, but my early years was not in Hong Kong. Right. Uh, my my parents, my biological father and my mother, they met in China. Uh, so, but my mother came from Hong Kong. So she returned to Hong Kong to give birth to me, and then we were back and forth. Okay. Now, and that when I was two and a half years old, they they separated. Mm-hmm. They were not divorced, but separated. At that time, the border was closed between right. China and Hong Kong. For political reasons, yeah, 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 it was not easy to travel at all. Not actually, not possible. So I was with my mother uh, in my childhood, single mother, and uh, so no, no awareness of art. But my mother was quite artistic. I think right. she was. Um, I remember her singing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I had not seen my father at all. She wanted to just erase that memory from from for me. Okay, never mention him. Never show me a photograph. We just pretend that he's not there. Right. I, I have memory. My memory was um, that he was a painter. Oh. And he was a teacher. Oh. So I remember when I was just learning to talk, um, I I would tell people that my father was a painter. I, I thought being a painter was quite special. It was a special job, you know? Sure. Time. And I remember him taking me to his studio. And I was pointing at this part of the painting. It's huge propaganda painting. Okay, okay. And that was the only thing that you could paint at that time. Right, uh, right. It was a, a man, kind of a worker in the white shirt, struggling with a snake. Snake is uh, capitalist evil or whatever. You know, that right. kind of very scripted political narrative. But it was it was a big... I was very little, but the painting was bigger than me, I remember. Much bigger than me. Right. And, and those paintings, do you, do you know? Well, I mean, I guess it's back then, but uh, were they... Um, he just painted those because he wanted to, or they were consigned? No, no nobody was allowed to do... Nobody was allowed. ...as leisure. These were yeah. uh, under... Strictly, it was a work, uh, yeah. Propaganda. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. Only kind of work you can artwork you can art work you can make is yeah, yeah. art. But this art, you know, like and hadn't seen him and only in 2013 
when I returned to China through oddly some channel that I found him again. Right. So after I don't know forty years or so, yeah, yeah, we, um, we met each other. Oh wow! So that's an interesting story. How to find him is also interesting. So how do you find him? Well, okay, yeah. I was going to China to to work uh, to show and work. I had a gallery in Beijing yeah. representing my work, and I also do work on the street, like a donkey project, for example. And uh, but that's in the north Beijing. I don't mm-hmm. usually go to the southern part of China. Okay. But for some odd reason, I I was I think I went there for a research project. Right. And I ended up in that area where I think my father was. Okay. And so that's it. I know my mother wouldn't like the idea. My mother was still alive, you no, know, and um, so I uh, of course I didn't tell her. I didn't have a strong desire to find him, but it was by chance, and because I don't have any emotional attachment to him, I don't know anything at all. Um, so, but just so interesting that there was a Chinese artist visiting Canada uh, that summer, and he's quite well known, very connected, well known teacher, and I was hosting him. So oh. we were chatting, and I said, oh, "I think my my biological father is in in your city." So he his work is research based, also about relations. <laughs> so he asked me, "Do I if I want to find him?" Well, well, sure. Okay, well, just try. You know, I, out of one billion plus people, I, I remember his name. I, I know my father's name. Right. I left it as that. So finally, I I went there uh, in China. Uh, Su Tang, this Chinese artist, he actually runs a kind of art school, an informal art school, more research based, you know, uh, art social, socially engaged type of. Art projects, not mm-hmm. studio-based art project. So he runs such a space, and kind of young people hang out there. So the the researchers, the students, took it on as a research project to to find to my find father. Him. And one of them was specially engaged, and she had some relatives working in some kind of secret police, like the CIA of China, oh, Chinese right. government. So through that channel, uh-huh. they located the area where my father was, okay? And they asked me to go to that police station in that area and talk to them. <laughs> wow. That's like so a, that's like a movie. It's kind of official procedure. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, okay, one day I was traveling in different parts of China and then I got a call, you know, they found your father and he would like to talk to you. So that was the first time I talked to my father on the phone. Uh, first time I heard his voice after so many years. And wow. he called me by my childhood name. It was very, very sweet, you know? Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So that was how it started. So, yeah, that's the DNA of the, the artist could have been in me somehow. For sure. That is so great. I mean, in terms of there's something... Like you said, is DNA is like is it's a primal thing. It's something that you cannot really, you know, control. It's like it's there, and you like the memories of of the paintings. Yeah, they, yeah. They're like that's pretty strong, you know. It's, a, it's it's not just one thing that you remember randomly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that perhaps you know it really had an impact. Yeah, that's I remember crazy. quite distinctly telling people that saying my father is a painter. Yeah, yeah. It's just learning to speak. What's had a special feeling, you know? Right. As a kid, you you talk about how great your dad is, or you know your families, anybody, you know. It's it's always about like because they they have such a influence on you, right? So it's a 
That's just so great. And so how old were you when, when you guys talked for the first time? I was in my 40s. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Quite a few years, quite some years ago. Wow. But anyway, growing up in Hong Kong, there was no contemporary art at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. The economy was picking up. Yeah, sure. I mean, so you were there with the British already, like, you know, all, yeah, all of that was happening, true. right? So it was booming. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I remember my family was with my mother, who was a single mother, although there were men in his life who helped her. And we had nothing. We didn't right. even have a telephone. You know, we were in the room. But gradually, within 10 years or so, we, we were able to travel. You know, we had all the, the basic appliances, you know. Yeah. We, yeah, we, you know, that 10, 10, 10, 15 years was very important years. Right. In the history of Hong Kong. Yes. So a lot of people move from the lower, kind of lower income to middle class. Yeah. yeah. A lot, yeah. a lot, a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's a very super interesting story because it happened in such a, you know, quick pace. You know, it, it just kind of exploded at the same time. I'm by no means an expert on this, but, you know, just looking at, uh, you know, the history of it. And and then it's interesting how it was a time frame that it was put by China, right? Like 50 years of yeah. this. And so like when was it? 1997 that uh, you, you went back to China. So right now the the, the politics and and the yeah it's it's really intense and so you know the laws they're changing everything in terms no longer, of yeah no the hong kong that people i mean when people talk about hong kong what yeah. they're proud of is the period i grew up in right that's right. when you work you will be rewarded yes yes do, do you still have any relatives there i have uh, my family extended family quite yeah. scattered right Somewhere in Hong Kong, and but I have friends, my yeah. uh, teenage friends, right? They're still quite close, you know, because uh, friendship made in those times. Sure, they last almost last through many many other kinds of friendships. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> but growing up in Hong Kong, there was no exposure to art or mm -hmm. to contemporary art. Art was not a, a subject at all, even in school. It was right. Academic. I took some Chinese painting lessons. I took some piano lessons. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, you know, yeah, it was just, well, I, I kind of like it, but, you know, yeah, not, no. I it was no not a vein. Mm -hmm. But in my teens, I became interested in fashion, clothing. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, very interested in clothing. I still am, actually. But it's through my interest. I was going to become, so quite sure I would become a fashion designer, clothing okay. designer somehow. And that was that would be my first ambition, you know. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Something right. that was possible to think about in Hong Kong, yeah. Art, but fashion. And uh, so when I came to Canada, high school, and you know, my parents, my mother uh, wanted me to go into science, so I didn't do any of the art stuff or fashion, not even art. But I studied in computing science. Right. I couldn't stand it. Uh, after. I quite enjoyed programming, actually, but I didn't like the people around me. Yeah. Very competitive. And um, so I, I went into studying textile, clothing and textile. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and at that time, we had a live model because it's really about human figure. We started to draw and I was very good at it with the figure, you know, yeah. like immediately, just natural. So I thought that was easy, right? <laughs> right. Was, so I might as well become an artist. It's, it's <laughs> natural to me. And also through um, reading fashion magazine, 
uh, people were still reading magazines and newspaper at that time. And at the back of Vogue magazine, they always have these pages of artists, contemporary artists, right? Right. So I was exposed to art that way through fashion. Right. It's almost like a, on the uh, the left field periphery, you know? Yeah, yeah, But yeah. those those painters, those artists in the late 80s, they were kind of stylish, like... Um, Figurative painter Francesco Clemente and so on. They they were kind of hip New York, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so they were always featured in, in in fashion magazines. So I came to know more about art that way. Yeah. yeah, I feel like it was inevitable though that you will find something related to either paintings or or something because you already had it in terms of your, you know, your memories and as well your. Uh, I guess, ease to actually paint or draw. Yeah, And yeah, so it was yeah. kind of like, you know, it was going to happen. Looking back, it seems inevitable. Yeah. Only when we look back. But Obviously, forward, yeah, with the hindsight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were kind of poking around, searching, stumbling along. But yeah. looking back, it makes logical sense, I think. Right, right. And and so when do you think that that actually clicked to say like, oh, wow, like this is a thing, you know, this is something that... I would like to expand on and, you know, really make it my livelihood, essentially, right? So I want to create yeah, this, yeah. my life around this thing. What do, do you remember any any moments like, you know, when that happened? Or it was also gradually? I was quite intense when I was a student, very mm. intense. How so? How come? Well, what was unique is that the school I went to, University of Alberta, was extremely conservative. It was just painting and a certain typing and sculpture, which is a certain type of sculpture. So um, very, very limited and also very backwards ideologically. But anyway, right. what was unique about that, it's uh, very unique, is that we had our, we had our own studio space on right. the first year. Unlike today, where we run classes in the studio, So students just come into the studio and hang us and they do the work and then they leave. Right. What was different is we had our own space. So we lived in the studio. I think from hindsight, that was a very, very important experience for me because you start to live like an artist. Sure. Rather than attending classes as a student. So a few of us who are very serious, I wouldn't say committed, We were always there in the studio all day. Yeah. And because we had our own space, we'd moving around, attending classes. Yeah. We would come into the studio and leave our stuff in our own space and we'd attend other classes. Right. But even if there are other studio classes, then we would still be doing our own work in the studio because we always have that space. This is for your MFA or undergrad? Undergrad. Undergrad. Wow. Undergrad. Okay. That's that's un- unheard of now. Unheard of. And it was too. I wasn't a uh, fine arts major at first. Right. But I transferred. So I started in the second year. It's unheard of. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really great because it, it is truly, truly immersive. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what you say. Immersive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although there were a lot, not a lot of um, ideas kicking around, but we learned how to endure. I think that's, that's a very important quality of artists, right? You just think about art, you just do art, right? That's right. And uh, I was very serious uh, going to uh, painting. There were not many choices, so either you paint or you sculpt or you print. Mm-hmm. And the departments don't get along, actually. So, 
So I spent most of the time in painting, and I was quite good at it, you know, with quite natural gift with handling the material. So I was quite sure that I would, I would be a painter. Right. In terms of how to function as an artist, professionally, no clue, because first there was no art scene there in Edmonton. There was only one artist, one space, right? Right. And that's it. And maybe a couple of commercial galleries that are showing very kind of commercial abstract work, figurative work, very commercial. So it was not exciting for me. And nobody even thought about kind of professionalism. What is profession? We just want to be artists. Yeah. We, just, we didn't think that far. Which is very different from students today because students want to be professional. Yeah, well, I mean, like... They want that kind of information. They want the kind of context. Totally. And and so if if I may just ask you there, maybe uh, calling from your professor, you know, um, capacity here... um, how how do you see that difference right now in terms of you know students going through school right now and thinking about becoming professional artists and, and that idea right and and what was that back then for you in terms of what a professional artist was back then right and and what are the differences between those two now? I think I I I learned unconsciously maybe at that time that art art is a way of life rather yeah. than a profession. Sure. Mm-hmm. And our students today, they want art to be professional. Here in, in at least in, the, in Western culture, art is you're either professional or you're just a hobby, hobbyist. Right. But art is actually a way of life. It's neither right. this nor that. You know? So one has to learn to uh, kind of behave, function, or conduct oneself as an artist. Mm. It's, it, it's beyond being a profession, I think. You can know all the professional tricks, right? but it has no, it has no stake in your, in your life, you know, it has no consequence in your life. Yeah. Wow, that, I mean, that, that's, a, that's such a mind-opener thing because, you know, usually you, we are being molded and so um, kind of like pushed to think in the capitalistic way, right? So professional means doing something that will pay you back. And that is, is going to give you the means for you to be able to survive and to, you know, pay your rent and do things like that. So it's kind of confusing that way. But I mean, the way that you're describing it, it, it kind of, I mean, it, it feels very um, like human in a way, you know, it, it removes a little bit that uh, aspect of, of being kind of like commoditized, you know, as a, as a human resource. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Can you say more about that? Hmm. Can I say more? I guess, well, once you, I don't know, once you declare yourself as an artist, everything you do is oriented around that, right? Right. And calling yourself as an artist, it's your know, direction. Whether you sell art or not, whether you learn to speak the latest theoretical language yes, to help sell yes. your art, Mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly it's used for that reason uh, it doesn't matter I think it's um, and what is the meaning of art in sense how it directs your life how it empowers you yeah. and people around you and how how, you, how it builds relation, how, how it causes how art causes you to answer to something like that Right. you have right. to answer to something you know Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if you're I mean, an artist, that's, you answer to art. Yeah, yeah. That's such a great insight because, again, uh, going back to your current position as a as a professor, right? 
Um, do, do you ever feel like there's a disconnection between, you know, the schooling system and the way in which it's conducive for students to believe that, okay, so I'm doing this, I should get X, Y, or Z, right? I think those are not wrong, those expectations. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. one way to function as an artist. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it's more expensive, I think, has been yeah. This, but there's no opportunity to talk about these things. And even artists amongst artists, we sometimes we talk about careers yeah. where you show <laughs> where your collection, your work in what collection, That's and right. that kind of thing. And they actually not even talking about art so often. Oh. Right? Let alone art has some kind of um, anchor, as an anchor in someone's life. We, we don't talk about these things. So. But uh, yeah, that's what the school promised the students, and yeah. that's what students want. It's yeah. a kind of a professional training, like exhibition opportunities, yes. professional contacts, exposures. Um, yeah, so all of that is expected to be part of an MFA today. Exactly. Education is becoming more and more expensive. Yeah. So students are investing, yeah? Is investing mm -hmm. in the career, and um, schools are competing for the best students, so they also make a lot of demand on the schools. <laughs> right, right. And as well, it's very expensive to to live in Toronto, for example. Yeah. And it's more expensive to live as an artist because you need time to make your work. So whatever day job you do, usually not a great job. But you have to sacrifice some of your hours. You know, totally, to totally. Art. You also need a if second need a space. Studio, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you need mm -hmm. a studio, then mm -hmm. that's even more difficult. So, yeah. So there is very little space for, for like artist culture, where artists just hang out and live as artists. Yeah. In Montreal, yes, much more in Montreal. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a different story there. Um, it's changing though. It's changing recently. in In recent years, is you know, it's getting no nowhere closer to what we have here. Fortunately for artists there, um, but you know, in the recent past, uh, friends of mine have experienced you know, essentially evictions from their studios yeah. because yeah. a corporation bought their the building and they they want to probably probably make condos that's that's the most likely explanation of why yeah and and that's its regular cycle right i mean you probably have experienced that in the past as well in toronto especially like you said the warehouses became condos right yeah so mm -hmm. in the 90s in toronto wasn't too bad you know i mean i live in the studio apartment and there right. were all these warehouse spaces yeah to to show your work and uh, artists can do it on their own at that yeah. time i, I felt yeah Now it's much more difficult, you know. That's why I admire these young people doing like little project space in Chinatown, or yeah. they're more like um, what you pop up space. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. Sure. So I, I'm, I admire the energy, you know. The question is, how long can you sustain? That? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I always share this story. So I, we started Tab Art Space in Montreal, right? It was also a, a very small garage. It's a one-car garage that we converted into the, mm -hmm. the space and all of this. And I remember sometime in 2018, mm -hmm. one article came out in, I think it was Momos, mm -hmm. talking about the um, independent art spaces and experimental art spaces as well. 
<laughs> and I remember one of the premises of the of the article was that it was very ephemeral, right? So they, they, they wouldn't last for too long because of many reasons. And I remember being so angry and saying like, no, no. I mean, these spaces can actually survive and they will yeah, yeah. continue. And then I remember like, I don't know, two months after I received an offer from, you know, work from Toronto and I had to leave <laughs> Montreal. So in the end I was like, oh, so yeah. even more angry because the person was right. So, and it's, it's that cycle mm -hmm. of, you know, it's an opportunity based type of um, activity, yeah, yeah. right? We started this conversation talking about your own uh, project at, at your house, but I know that you also have some other initiatives, right? Similar to, to that, you've been mentioning the, the, the Chinese project that you had in terms of the donkey. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all of these kind of off-site um, project came from, of course, uh, came from project in my apartment, right? Mm -hmm. And then I had to move out after five years because oh. uh, I bought a house, this house. Right, right. Uh, so I was sad too, but um, you need to find a different ways, different circumstances. Mm -hmm. So the spirit will continue. And that's why I started moving that kind of project into my car. I still had a car. Right. <laughs> right. So, mm -hmm. um, so I built special design units uh, to fit into the car with monitors and so on. Yeah. And artists were doing work around the car so that became another uh, kind of mobile projects okay okay and then when i was in beijing i started the donkey project it's a similar spirit right really it's an artist looking for opportunity okay you should always be able to be very aware and and alert I, oh after this after the apartment I, i i said to myself i can draw a circle around my feet i can do something there yeah So you don't you don't need gallery, you don't need you just have to be aware. That's right. What comes to you? What are the opportunities? Yeah, yeah. And and I, I think a little bit also the objective. If the objective is to really have that output of, you know, your artistic self and, and being relating to other artists and share that, you know, there's many ways to do that. Now, if your objective is to create perhaps an institution or a commercial gallery that has to be approached in a different manner, right? But that's I think right, there right. are many ways to actually create and, and have the opportunity to have that output. And you you have shown that with your several projects, right? Yeah, I think it's always uh, important for artists to explore their independence or their artist power. Yes, I work in, I show in commercial galleries, and but I also can work outside. Yeah. I can work in any areas, you know. Yeah. If you're nimble enough, if you're like, you know, flexible and, and elastic, yeah. then you can definitely, you know, do a lot more things. And and yeah, so that's yes, that's something yes. that. And so what, what was the uh, what was the whole thing with uh, in China? So you had a donkey and then in the bag you had like a type of cart or something or what? What was it like? Well, how it started was uh, I was visiting China doing kind of research, you know, yeah. and uh, And finally, I had a gallery, a commercial gallery representation in China. And uh, the gallery was in an art, art district. It's mm -hmm. a huge area, lots of lots of galleries. And it's quite, uh, it's quite exciting, but uh, I was showing there within the system. And I met another artist, uh, Chinese, from Australia. We were in the same show, so we became friends. And uh, one day we he we decided to run across the street outside of the art district because 
everything is 10 times more. You want to have lunch, you just pay because <laughs> it's quite touristic. <laughs> right. So we went across the, the street right. to a kind of typical neighborhood, you know. And my friend, Michael, he had been in that area before. So we went to this kind of a local sidewalk joint, you know, sitting right. on these small stools, wooden. Yeah. You know how Mexico. Sure, is, is sure. Yeah, I, I picture exactly. Yeah. Neighborhood. Uh-huh. It was very hot that day, and we had already drank lots of beer. I remember the beer bottle. And Michael, suddenly he said, I, you know, he, I remember he saw, we were thinking about doing some collaboration together, just yeah. picking some ideas around. It was hot, we were kind of drunk. And I remember that moment very well. And Michael was saying, oh, yeah, I've seen donkey across that, over there, you know. Oh, yeah, so let's do the donkey thing. <laughs> it was like this, yeah, that's it, you know. <laughs> it wasn't even like donkey project. He just said he saw a donkey, you know. Right. And I already had the experience of uh, doing projects in my car. So something that moves. Yeah. <laughs> can <Yeah>. carry on. <laughs> so at that time, Beijing was going through a lot of changes. Right. It's the year of the Olympics. So a lot of urban renewal. 2008. See the conflict between, yeah, yeah. a lot of uh, displacement. Yeah. People are being moved and uh, the house being demolished and so on. But also a lot of people from outside Beijing are coming into the city to find work. Yeah. Right. So there is a kind of already geopolitics happening, right? right. Where we were was on the outskirts of Beijing. That's why you could see at that time mm. some workers or farmers using the donkey to come into yeah. the city to yeah. sell things. Yeah. So, uh, only you could see at that time a donkey, you know, standing next to a Lamborghini. Right. You could see that. <laughs> you know, that kind of strange phenomenon, like this kind of gray area, you know, where where totally. the country is, where the city is. It's sort of ambiguous where the wealth is all kind of centered in the city sure. but people from the outside and try to get a piece of the action but they are never really in, inside no no stigmatized yeah it's yeah. very hard to move around in china so we uh, we were a bit naive actually we just thought donkey is cool because uh, beijing was so fast to do something on something so slow Right. Counteraction, kind of resistant, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so we decided mm -hmm. to to just talk to some of these farmers. Finally, uh, one of them, well, we had a couple of incidents. Finally, we, um, we just collaborate with us. Right. So I had these uh, uh, special units. Right. Display units. They were designed to be launched on a donkey cart. Yeah, and then also special harness, uh, leather harness that to mount monitors on a donkey. Uh -huh. And a lot of these are just finding the process was interesting to finding the right craftspeople who can make such a harness, leather worker. Yeah, and also by chance we find some someone to make a horse saddle. Right, not far, and he was the only one in Beijing. Who oh wow, a horse saddle. And you know, you told him about the idea, he was scratching his head. <laughs> like really, <laughs> but you know, he was kind of he it was a challenge, you know. Like we sure, sure, yeah. And then uh, those units at the back—they are quite, uh, quite beautifully designed, actually. And they were designed based out of um, uh, 
these containers used during Second World War mm -hmm. for ammunition, like bullets, bombs, right. and so on. So, so like the metallic kind of attitude. So, yeah. Yeah, kind of yeah. attitude, like mm -hmm. a combative attitude. Right, right. And uh, But they also have multi functions. It's quite articulated. Yeah. And they could be installed and removed very, very quickly. Wow. So we just drift around with the with the donkey into the city. It's so, really great to to travel in Beijing with these traffic. And then you have this donkey <laughs> meander. And the resistance at the beginning, the resistance of, of the other farmers was based on they just didn't trust or what was the they just didn't want to be part of something no, like that. Uh, we actually got, got some interest. Okay. But the project encountered a lot of difficulties actually. Okay. Harassment. Because oh, really? these farmers, they are not welcoming city. Yeah. Beijing city, it's very xenophobic. You know, right. People are lower class. Yeah. So they get a lot of harassment from securities and so on. And very early on, our project was monitored by some secret police. You know. Sure. Our website's sure. always shut down and there's always someone following us. Really? So the donkey was actually arrested. The oh, donkey no. was arrested. <laughs> 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 and uh, the first farmer we worked with, she was arrested. Really? And, wow. Uh, uh, we had to bail her out. And we had to bail her and the donkey out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> they confiscated everything. Yeah. Just because they could abuse her, because she's a farmer. Sure. And she's illiterate. Sure. Okay. Yeah. They're still very common in China. Just the, because they want to abuse her, they, ask, yeah. they force her to write a report. She couldn't write the report, right? No. Mm -hmm. So I had to write the report for her, and my Chinese wasn't that great, but right. she told me her name. I just tried, but I tried a couple of times, and then she nodded her She recognized it. It right. was quite moving. I wrote her name for her. Yeah. She couldn't even write her name. So And then I just wrote the report and, and so on. Yeah. And then, so she got and, out that way, you know. And she recognized it, her name. Yeah, she recognized her names, yeah. her names in Chinese, but she yeah. couldn't. She wasn't able to write it herself. Right, right. So we had the taste of everything, the yeah. kind of urban dynamics, the conflicts, right, Beijing at the moment, the the class struggle, the difference, and the pieces, yam, the pieces that you were showing in the in the cart were those your own, or or you uh, also worked with uh, other artists from the area? We worked with other artists. Okay, uh, these units can be function as a bookstore, you know, and uh, so a lot of artist books, small multiple objects, and okay. so on. Okay. Sound art, and mm -hmm. uh, two monitors on the donkey, they show yeah. artist videos. Right. I mean, and the display of it, the whole thing is like itself a piece, in, in a sense like you can think about that as a performance or also an installation, right, for the city. So there's, yeah, yeah there's yeah. so much yeah. depth in there. And, and as well as the Kind of like by itself, knowing that you will be calling the attention of the secret police and, and yeah. you know, for these specific farmers, you know, all of that is part of that thinking, right? All of that is part of that calculation and say like, yeah, this, this is the piece, right? And how long did it function for? It functioned for three years. Oh, wow. So it was a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was not always there. I would go in the summer, but my friend Michael, yeah, he was there. Yeah, it became quite well known that that project was sure uh, was uh, actually written about on artist art journals and and so on. Wow! So it was actually known in the art world, quite known in the art world. And finally, this kind of thing just you know yeah. dispersed. 
yeah. and uh, that's that's how it was. Yeah. It was okay. I have a very fond memory because I learned about Beijing that way, and right. I really learned about uh, being a tourist kind of tourist because I really didn't know China. Sure, and, sure. Uh, I was really embedded into the kind of daily fabric, mm. two different classes, right? Many, but with the, some kind of um, Maybe luxury as a foreigner, you know. Sure. Like I can observe. Totally. I still totally. have my Canadian passport. Exactly. That's why when the farmer get harassed, we get less harassment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting that you actually do call that privilege because it is. I mean, it is it is not the same uh, calculation in in saying like, well, you know, I'm a local and you know I know the consequences yeah. that I can face versus you know. You yeah. with the support of the of the other countries, right? Mm -hmm. We were naive enough to do it. Right. Today I would not do it. Right. Today right, would be right, very, right. very dangerous. Yeah. I, I think that's just a, a factor of age, you know? I, I feel like I, I wouldn't do right now what I used to do, I don't know, in my twenties or awesome. something. It's uh yeah. Awesome. But uh, but no, definitely I mean there's the world right now is one that is just so wild, man. It's just uh, yeah. it's incredible. So it's and so doing a parallel with the with the donkey project in your car you, you've done that here right in canada the car was here the car was first yeah you would take your car and go somewhere different every time or yeah, how would that yeah. work how do you choose the, the places well just just park just, and just park. park the openings and so on yeah if i can show you um the the unit the back yeah. of the car Yeah, 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 yeah. The plexiglass, the acrylic box. Yeah, acrylic. Yeah, that is uh -huh. the the library of the car. It right designed to fit into the trunk, the trunk. of a station wagon. Nice. So it was also books, artist books, and multiples, yeah. and so on. Yeah, Great. yeah. So these units for the donkey cart, it's coming from this idea. But the uh, donkey units are much rougher. It's wood. Right. Showing plexiglass on a donkey doesn't it's not the same spirit. <laughs> right. No, it it has to fit for sure. No, that makes like sense. I, I I I also take this as a design project because I like design. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and, and it's also kind of like a like a challenge in terms of like solving it, right? So let's yeah, let's exactly. solve this this yeah. And I, I love those those issues as well. Um so yeah, you mentioned this earlier in the interview, but um So you said that you were making similar work during your BFA than the work that you do now, or that has changed completely in the whole arc of your career? Something continues, but more evidently in MFA. Mm. Some of the artistic language right. carries continue. Okay. The spirit is there. I wasn't working so much digitally yeah. in MFA. In fact, yeah. not at all. Uh, the digital things came later, right? But the interest in virtual, virtual space, right? Illusions, and that was already there in early on. Yeah, yeah. I know that you know trying to describe visual art through a podcast is not the greatest. So if we talk about the concepts that you experiment and that you explore and research mm -hmm. on, what are those? What is the the one thing that moves your production of art? Yeah, talking like excluding the the kind of social intervention yeah. work that I do on the street. Mm -hmm. Most of my kind of art artwork mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, get shown in in institution spaces or commercial spaces. Uh, they, the subject can be very different. 
Right. The subject could be sometimes very cultural, sometimes very urban, sometimes very aesthetic. But uh, the decor, I have only one artist statement that works for everything, pretty much. Okay. It's, the statement is simple. The, the purpose of my work is to subtract weight from the world. Okay. Just to make the world lighter somehow. Right, you know? right. So the image has to be less than an image. The thing has to be less than the thing. The painting has to be less than painting. Hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and that with that... Kind of the virtual, the virtual... Right, right, exactly. So um, the pieces that you create sometimes, yeah, it's you, you can tell there's quote unquote like a lack of things, right? So like there, yeah, there's sometimes yeah. space, the blank space or the black space is very like yeah. is 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 vast. So that that makes sense the way that you describe it. Now the the majority of your work that you produce is it virtual? Is it through technology? Mm, or it's both i mean i use yeah. sometimes i'm actually doing some drawings now okay but, uh, the drawings are informed by my 3d 3d work right and so it's sort of fluid between right. the two and even though when i draw i use the computer to help me kind of make some plans and test out some ideas mm-hmm. um, but i'm back and forth one thing i haven't done for a long time and um and this is something I teach at uh, the university, is painting. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Actual painting with the brush. I mean, I yeah. only work on my students' work when I do a demonstration or something. But even when I was hired, you know, the, the position was a painting position, painting okay. professor. Right. I already stopped painting a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like a painter. Right. My work, even my digital work, is quite painterly. And the aesthetic and conceptual concerns are uh-huh. painters' concerns. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just don't right. use paint as a medium. Is the process similar, you think, as well? The process of creation, of the actual making the pieces? Or, I mean, obviously, you know, not in the physicality, but in the in the conception of it? Well, certainly when I work with the digital, it frees me from the obligation to have a studio. Yeah. I don't want a studio. I don't mm. want to be tied to the routine or the kind of burden even. Uh, I don't want to make too many things, objects, because they end up taking over your life, you know. I want to, I would say simple, but never simple. But I I still have these old paintings. I don't know what to do with them. Mm. So try not to make things. Try to be light, yeah? Oh, I see, uh, I see. So even in that is... I can go mm -hmm. anywhere. Yeah, Yeah. I don't need a studio. Right. I, I can just need a sketchbook or test out some ideas. And, I see. You know, that's a kind of freedom and also free up my schedule. Right. Because when you go into the studio, you really have to devote that time, you know. Uh, with the computer, I can have an, have an hour here, one hour there. And I can, yeah. I can go. Yeah. I, can, I can be quite nimble, as you said. Right. So right. these are practical, but more than practical, more than practical uh, concerns, I think. One is the, the ease, the, the freedom. Yeah. To not become tied by material practice. Somehow. Right. Not to be kind of get bogged down by material practice. Right. And and I mean, the inevitable conversation in, in terms of, you know, your, your production of digital art these days is the NFTs, right? <laughs> so for the longest time, um, I guess commercial galleries and in general terms, you know, artists didn't really know how to commercialize right, digital right. work, right? So right now there's a there's a little bit of more attention on that. 
Do you, mm -hmm. Have you seen any sort of movement in terms of that, uh, you know, attention to the work? People want to buy things. Right. Because uh, I worked with Anton before in Montreal. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. couldn't sell. He didn't know. I mean, hard right. to sell video, hard to sell. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I saw a few and still only to kind of corporate collection. Yes. To museums. No, not right. individual uh, collectors. Right. You still want to buy objects. Um, it's difficult. But at first, when I first, I had no interest to work with commercial galleries. I never mm -hmm. really approached them. Mm -hmm. Never really want to kind of uh, tailor a career. Yeah. I just do things. Right. And, you know, anywhere is opportunity for me. But really, it's a commercial gallery that approached me. Right. Well, it was Leo Kamen who, who was a kind of, pioneer in the scene in Toronto. He retired now, but he was running the gallery for 20-some years. And right. He survived that long. But he heard of me and he wanted to do a studio visit. And I had no interest to show him my work. <laughs> he kept bugging me. So, okay, finally, I had him over. He liked it. He thought about it. You know, he asked me to do a group show. Okay, why not? And right. then he said he wanted to represent me. Sure, you know, I never say no to anything. Sure, sure. But then as he also said, I'd like to represent you, but I don't know how to sell it. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's that's honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, uh, well, that's not my problem. It's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> but fine, if you want to show it, right. talk about some strategies and showing them as a limited edition. At the time, we were still using DVD. Right. Maybe we have a little, um, some box. Yeah. You know, printed with my signature, with edition, and so on. Maybe we make a nice fast screen TV and, and so on, just to make it look like an object. Sure, sure, sure. Finally, someone, when they get a DVD, is still a special. Give it some body to the thing. Uh huh. That yeah, was interesting. Uh, two bands bought two works from that show, my first okay. show. Okay. Okay. So he, he was he said uh, these are his words. That's a fucking miracle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was good. And uh, he said remember the I think it was Bank of Montreal. They used some art art movers to right. move art, right? Yeah. So there was these two guys in the overall came into the gallery and they said want to move Yam's work. And uh, Leo, the gallery, just pulled, gave him a DVD. <laughs> and he looked at it and they put it in his pocket. <laughs> I think uh, they were surprised. No, right. This can be art. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but if you want to buy the TV, you can. You just pay more. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But uh, that yeah. was, uh, yeah, they did look at it, you know, and they put it in his pocket. And, yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, so it was very new, even today. I mean, recently I saw a piece. It's a video work, but I saw it as an installation. Right. That's right. to an institution. Uh, yeah. But there, there are physical elements to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although the work can function on its own as a projection or any other ways, but uh, it, we saw it as a kind of installation. Yeah. Right. But it's rare to to sell. But even even with that, even with an NFTs, people still want things, right? I mean, like, yeah, yeah, some it, kind of certificate. Exactly. Like they want to own something that is the signifier of the piece, and I think or you, you know, sell them, give them a print. Uh, exactly. Still exactly. Uh, image. You know? Yeah. Those are yeah. Like souvenirs or something mm -hmm. like that. 
some things. Yeah, that that's fine. You know, I mean, whoever I work with, I want to be mutually beneficial. I want to bring some business to the gallery. I appreciate yeah. that. But yeah, but I can also function without it. Sometimes people ask me, "What do I think of the art world?" Yeah. The art world, the commercial art world. I mean, what? There's no commercial art world. There are galleries, but no one's making money. Do you think? You think that's that's a reality? Yeah. That's the what you see, like uh, people selling millions of dollars. That art world, I have no business. Right. I don't know. Right. It's not my world. Right. I think it's like that for the majority of the artists. I mean, put it even the the bar lower, right? How many yeah. artists do you know that can sustain their practice just selling art? Yeah. Yeah. So now the ones that make millions, forget about that. Yeah. So this idea of professionalism that we people expect from art, but from institution, it's quite a, quite an illusion. Certainly, it doesn't mean that there will be sales or jobs or commercial yeah. contacts or yeah. success at all. And so, if I can just continue in that train of thought, you know, if you if you think about it in terms of okay, so galleries or commercial galleries really have a hard time, you know making ends meet right so they really do and so there has to be like a backup or somebody bankrolling that initiative Mm -hmm. or project right so let's let's put that aside so that's one of the aspects then the second thing would be institutions or artist-run centers or something relating to uh, funding from the government right so that's the that's another vein Um, the other one would be totally institutionalized art museums and such and such that survive from both, um, you know, mm-hmm. public interest in terms of paying tickets to get in and also some yeah. uh, subsidies from the government. Yeah. And then you have all of those other free things that we we're talking about earlier, right? All of those little projects that sprout out of just somebody's, you know, imagination, I guess. So in general terms for you, if I would ask you the really expansive question of what is the future of all of this? Where are we going? You know, what is going to be the thing that will continue? Yeah. Like commercial galleries will continue to to be what they are and museums will continue to, you know, bring in uh, droves and droves of students to make their quotas. <laughs> What's going to happen? Yeah, you know? it's really hard to say, mm-hmm. you know, once a pandemic it's over. There's probably going to be new energy somehow. Mm-hmm. There's all mm-hmm. this pent up energy, and people saved a lot of money. I imagine. Sure, sure. It's going to go somewhere, right? Yeah. So yeah. maybe the scene will start to to bloom again, to flourish. Yeah. Scene. Mm-hmm. Or that people start to become indifferent. Right. They realize they can function Survive. as artists without the scene at all. Yeah. I don't really miss the galleries so much. No, I, I like the ga- I like my gallery. Right. We still meet sometimes on a social on a social basis. I like to work with Claire, but the overall commercial scene, well, I yeah. don't miss it so much actually. Right. Right. Because my work is here. You know. That's I, right. It's my That's life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so these are just opportunities. These other uh, venues are opportunities for me. Yeah. To explore my artistic language, perhaps. To expand but my, my life is here you know yeah right if we go a little bit deeper on that what is the aspect that you are not missing really are there any specific conversations that you have you know in your mind that you're like i can do without no not really um i mean i'm still looking at art yeah what i miss is good art yes but you don't see a lot of good art honestly 
calories honestly it's difficult so, mm-hmm. yeah difficult right but yeah I, th- I think there's a lot that gets gets lost right i mean when you're trying to consume yeah, art in true. your phone that's true mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly so yeah and uh you know the art i come across to like i like to build deep relations yeah those relations are not built by going to gallery opening or going to see a show yeah right yeah, you know right so it's um the the deeper aspects of art that i never get from just going to museums and galleries uh that i won't get anyways mm-hmm. but uh so i don't miss it but right i miss those deep aspects of art are those uh more personal what i mean is like yeah, those so. are you know connections with other other people yeah i think yeah. so yeah yeah, yeah. Friendships. No one talks about friendships in the art world. That's right. But that's so important. That's, that's right. Such an important component. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, art, and if artists don't support artists who like <laughs> people who are like you are very interesting for me. Right. Who are from the outside but show a lot of curiosity, mm-hmm. a lot of generosity. So we artists are very, very grateful. Right. And I have a home. I can I can also host, I can also use it in some meaningful way to support artists. Yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it is difficult sometimes to. Okay, so another of of those things that kind of usually happens when people visit these spaces, and especially here, tap, uh, we get asked a lot. So, what do you guys want with this, right? So, what is the what is the whole purpose or objective of this? And in reality, one one of the most honest things that I always say is like, I don't know. We're trying to figure it out by action, right? Yeah. Yeah, And then the other thing that I'm discovering more and more is that I truly, truly do appreciate just working with artists in general that's terms. It. Like, let's let's work in a show together, right? Like, that's super yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. Now, if we kind of, like, change the conversation to how do we make it work and how, how is it going to survive and all of that in terms of, you know, fundings and all of that, that's a totally different conversation, you know? that sometimes is is a little bit removed from what the main objective is but i mean it's also yeah. it's very important right i think one question about survival is do you start with something that's sustainable yeah i think yeah. your space is sustainable totally a lot of well i know one gallery i work with briefly mm-hmm. they pour a lot of money into like making a nice white box and yeah and you look at you just do the math because certain art in that's Canada, right. that's right, is maybe ten times less than New York. Yeah, you invested so much to make a magic show. Yeah, but you just do the math; it, it can't work. Right? Exactly, exactly. So they they go down quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. And so this kind of false ambition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to make it that way, or they pour a lot of money going to art fair. That's right. Um, yeah, it's just if you have a lot of money, yeah. But in Canada, it's very difficult because artists you can't ask for a whole lot of money. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and we cannot ignore totally the system in which we live, and that is that you know uh, yeah. things will have to happen in certain pace. We will not be able to perform the same way as if we had you know funding yeah. coming in. You do it in your time because you you have already marked out your autonomy, your independence. That's right. 
That's right. And then you you find whatever works for you and whatever benefits your artist. Yeah. And usually yeah. people, I think the artists who come to you don't expect you to take them to Miami Art Fair immediately. <laughs> it's not, they, they probably know it's not the right gallery for sure. them. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't want to lose your shirt neither. Because exactly. Really no, 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 no. I mean, it's, it's not the objective. I think it. No, I think everybody's pretty aware of how things are. Right. You know, we, we never really um, say no to the future. You know, I don't know what's no, going to bring. No. But uh, like yeah. you said, like, you know, doing this thing can connect to some other things. And then, but yeah. we'll see. It's, a, it's always, it's always a, a really interesting exploration as well for us as, you know, organizers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's that's yeah. usually very interesting. But mm -hmm. it's important that you maintain your identity, which right. is unique. Right. And I think even if you function in these other levels, uh, you function in your way. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, there is a gallery in China called Vitamin Vitamin Space. Right. They was from Beijing, but they moved to the south. But it's in the countryside. Yes. It's farm, but they have the best architect to design right. the space. It takes a day to get there. Yeah. So it's not accessible. Right. But they have the best artists, you know, uh -huh. Chinese and European artists. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I don't think people buy stuff from them, but they they function in the art um art fair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how they operate, but they really maintain the identity. Right. It's run by a poet and so on. They do very interesting projects that are not commercial. Interesting. But they do function in the um, function very well in the art world through the art fair system. Okay, so they they probably benefit from that, you know, angle of, you know, if you sell a, a few pieces in a couple of fairs through the year, maybe that's enough for you to continue for a year, you know, sustaining yeah. your space. Mhm. Mm but I think the fact that they can draw in some obscure place right. in China can draw the best artists. Right. How do you get these artists to be to sign up for you? Yeah. Because yeah. people will be lining up to buy their work yeah. in this obscure little place. But I, because they have their unique identity, identity artists yeah. are very sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the owners... They are, they are poets, you know, they are very right. artistic people. So artists right. connect with them on that level, right. not on a commercial level. It's yeah. a spiritual connection yeah. rather than a commercial relation. Totally. And so they were able to bring in these artists and then they function in yeah. the kind of international circuit through the art fairs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a, such an interesting story because I yeah. think it's true that, you know, it, it, it kind of comes through in terms of what is the your essence right so i think that comes yeah. through and is, is recognized by artists usually that's true that's right that's right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. no but uh you know it, it's been a, a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better and get to know your yeah, your work and and you know all your projects yeah. and uh i cannot wait to you know organize together uh a night of openings in the back we in the back to, alley we have to do that we yes have to do that yes we have to and do the that the drone will be flying around to that's you. right you can send in the drone and <laughs> see how it is first if it, you know those guys are having fun or not <laughs> right <laughs> no but i appreciate your time thank you for yeah, thank you for thank doing you this so for the fun. podcast and um uh, yeah i hope to see you soon See you soon and take care. Send my love to your partner. Oh, yeah. same to you. And one more question. Do you get your vaccine? Yes. Great. Uh, ha you're halfway there. Shot. 
yeah yeah halfway yeah, yeah. good Did you? so we're, we're getting the first shot on sunday congratulations yeah, yeah. thank you, you. yeah better. that should be good yeah yeah okay but anyways so well Thanks thank you so much i will good talk night. to you soon yeah bye bye okay that was my conversation with yam lao for more information you can visit christy contemporary website uh, you can find his name in the list of artists And please, if you enjoyed this conversation, please consider leaving a review wherever you're listening to this episode. Today's original music, mastering and mixing was done by Arcadio Lance. The visuals were made by the Montreal-based designer and recently vaccinated Victor Garibay, aka Gary. I'm the host, Marx, and we'll see you soon with another conversation. Have a good beginning of the summer. All right, talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.